Luke chapter 14. Thank you for sharing that. Well, somebody got right with God. I'm glad we had revival. Who did that? Matt, Matthew, you did that. I know you did that. I knew you were doing that because no real man would put a water that size on the pulpit for a preacher anyway. <clears throat> Miss Steins, hold up your water bottle, would you? Where's your water bottle? It's right next to you, preacher. Now, that's what she carries. Look what he put up here. That's, that's petty. That's pathetic. And on top of that, look at what it says on there. Rock on. <laughs> See? We got you figured out, brother. <laughs> oh, I have enjoyed being here. My wife, I was packing my bag Monday morning, and I went to the church and worked and then drove up, and she... Uh, She'll oftentimes ask me when I'm going somewhere, she'll say, do you enjoy going to this church? And my answer to her was, I enjoy being home. Please don't take that wrongly. I said, as far as being somewhere, I do enjoy being with Brother Steins and his people. I said, I'd rather be home. It's, it's hard. It was hard last night knowing that our people were at church and I was here. But, uh, but they're gracious about it, and I'm, I'm able to, as the Lord leads and provides, I'm able to go places. I, you know, when I was a young preacher, I thought that would be the coolest thing in the world, to pack a suitcase and uh, go somewhere and stay in a motel and be the guest speaker. And, and, uh, and I, I still, as the Lord does that, that's fine. But, you know, I don't have to go anywhere to be, be happy. I'm, I'm happy with what God's doing in my life. And, and, uh, but I do enjoy being here. You are very blessed. I appreciate Brother Steins and his genuineness and his love for the Lord. And, uh, and appreciate uh, Brother Watts. And uh, you don't have to be around him long to figure out he's the real deal. And you're very blessed. You're very blessed to have him. And it kind of offsets you having Matthew. <laughs> the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But no, I appreciate Brother Matt. And uh, it's been exciting to watch him uh, and his wife grow and, and uh, seeing what God's doing in their lives and in the ministry here. You, uh, you're very, very blessed. No two churches are alike. No two people are alike. And uh, you get into trouble when you start comparing churches. Don't ever do that. Be grateful for what you have right here. You say, well, I wonder what it's like over yonder. It's not your problem. And by the way, the grass always looks greener on the other side. Always. When I was a kid, my daddy had a, a scuppernong vine, and he raised the biggest scuppernongs, man. You, I mean, they were... They were some of them were golf ball size, just huge. And I couldn't wait till late summer and those things would come in and I loved them. Until one day I figured out the secret to his cuppernogs. 
they were planted over the septic tank. And, uh, you know, you say, well, the grass sure looks greener over yonder. Well, it might be planted over the septic tank. And you know what you need to do is you need to take possession of your church. You need to say, you know what, this is my church. And by the way, it is. You know, when I was a kid, I used to hear the preacher give these little, he'd talk about the, the church and it belonged to all of us. And then they'd get up and have a business meeting. And I was like 10, 12 years old. And I'm thinking, and he would say, you know what, this is as much your church as it is mine. And we all belong, and this, this belongs to all of us. And I'm thinking, man, let's sell and divvy up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but um, but uh, you, you'll be amazed if you haven't come to that place in your spiritual life to where you just say, you know what? God is my God. Jesus is my Savior. He's my pastor, if he is your pastor. And this is my church and just dig yourself, I said it the other night, but dig yourself in really, really deep wherever your church home is and, uh, and, and take ownership of that thing. And take, I hate to use the word pride, it's probably the wrong word, but take pride in what God has given you. God's been very good to you. And uh, when you pull in this parking lot, you ought to feel a sense of, man, this is, this is mine, this is where I belong this is what I'm a part of. By the way, what goes on here is more important than anywhere, anything that goes on anywhere else in the world. And it's amazing how excited we get about things that really don't matter. You know, I'll get in the car tonight and head home, and I'll turn the radio on, I'll listen to the basketball tournament. And I get pretty excited about it and enjoy it. But you know what? It really does matter. If I tell you this, what happened here last night matters. That makes a difference. And so uh, I'm very grateful. You, you're always very, very gracious. It's easy to preach here. And I'm so thankful for that. And uh, thank you for being an encouragement to me uh, this week. And I'll head home tonight and hit it hard this weekend. And it's Resurrection Sunday, and I'm looking forward to that. And I'm glad he's alive, aren't you? Luke chapter 14, in our text tonight, we're going to read a story about a master who has prepared a great supper, and he sends his servants out into the neighborhoods to invite people for this big occasion. He's pretty excited about it, and they went out and returned with little or no results. I want us to read tonight some verses. Let's stand together, if you don't mind, in Luke chapter 14. And look with me, if you would, in verse number 16. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, and I want you to notice these next two words, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. 
I want to talk to you tonight about the angry master. The angry master. Now I want to stop before I get into the message. I do believe that this master represents our Heavenly Father. But I don't want to do God an injustice tonight and make you think that we have some hateful God who's just waiting for you to mess up so he can smack the devil out of you. The God that we serve tonight is a God of love. Yes, he is a God of judgment. And I think we're seeing that tonight. I think, I think that people say, well, I tell you what, I'm scared to death. I'm scared that what's going on in America is going to bring the judgment of God. I think we're already under the judgment of God. I think God's already judging America. But I don't want you to leave here tonight thinking that I'm portraying God as being some bully who's just mad at the world. God's not like that. But I think God must get frustrated with us as this master became frustrated with his servants. Let's pray together and we'll preach for a little bit. Father, I pray that you take these thoughts tonight and you've encouraged my heart with this message. And I pray you would encourage uh, the hearts of others. Lord, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, we really preach to uh, just individual Christians about their personal relationship with you. And I believe with all my heart that's where revival starts. Tonight, I want to preach to the church, and I want us to turn our attention tonight from our personal relationship to you to our obligation to you for service. And this church is here tonight for a reason. And there's something you want to do in this community, and I pray you would help us see it. Take these thoughts, these words, take your word tonight, drive it deep into the hearts of your people. And Lord, I get out of your way. I, uh, I realize tonight you don't need me, but I desperately need you. And I pray you would fill us with your spirit, both as preacher and listener tonight. And may something good be accomplished that would make a difference in the lives of others, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I read that one day, and I was reading down through there, and the Bible said that when the servant came back, he, he, he told his master what he had found, and the Bible said that the master being, the, the master being angry. And I thought, well, I wonder what would have made him angry. What would have, what would have frustrated this master who I believe represents our Heavenly Father. And so I went back to the text and I began to study and pray and, and I jotted down some thoughts. I want to share those with you tonight. I, I think it must anger the master, number one, when the citizens are not invited. When the citizens are not invited. Now here's what we need to understand. The command has already been given. The food is prepared, the table is set, preparations have been made, and the master says to the servants, now I want you to go and I want you to let the people in our community know that they're invited to attend my supper. The, the servant goes out and he comes back and he gives the report to the master. And I can only imagine how frustrated the master must have been had that servant not gone out and invited others. Do you know what I find at our church? I'm not sure that that is a problem here at all, but I find a lot of people in our church who come Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, who have that ownership about the church, who would be proud to tell you that I'm their pastor and Fellowship Baptist is their church, never invite anybody to ever come. Did you hear what I said? I'm talking about, I'm talking about 
three times every week. They occupy a space on a pew. They say 18 inches is the average, but most of our folks are well over average. <laughs> and they come in and they listen to the music and they, they listen to the preaching and they make decisions and kneel at the altar and they say amen and they nod their head up and down and they leave and say, Pastor, it was good to be here. And yet week after week after week will pass and they'll never talk to anybody. Never pass out a gospel track. Never put a witness in for the Lord. Never try to invite someone to church. I wonder how frustrated the master is tonight when we, members of Solid Rock Baptist Church, fail to invite the citizens. You know someone who needs a church like this. Every one of us. Every one of us. Now, Monday night you liked it when I told you Jesus loved you, didn't you? All right, well, I want you to love me tonight when I tell you Jesus is upset with some of you. He's upset because he has has prepared a feast. He has set up a banquet. He has made preparation. Everything is in place. All things are ready. And he sent his son to die on a cross and shed his blood so that we could know the forgiveness of sin. And I wonder how many times we pass person after person after person. We work beside people. We go to school with people. And never one time ever speak up for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's got to be frustrating, man. It's got to be frustrating. It was a simple invitation. He didn't ask these people to be theologians or have a doctorate or have memorized the Romans road. He, they didn't have to know all the soul winning illustrations. They simply needed to get serious about the business of issuing a very simple invitation. Come. That's all they had to do. And by the way, that's all you have to do. About two months ago, our teenagers went out one Saturday, about 25 or 30 of them, and it was raining that particular Saturday, and one of our men were going to help me with them. And, and I said, do you know somewhere they can go where they can be out of the weather? He said, preacher, I know exactly where to go. And he went and knocked, they went, two, two of our teenage girls went and knocked on one of the apartment doors, and a couple came to the door, and they began to talk with them and shared the gospel with them. And the Abrahamson said, we've already been saved, but we're looking for a church. And that man and his wife came the next Sunday, and they came the Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that. And about four weeks ago, they said, Pastor, we're really interested in joining. We've been looking for a church. And I went by their apartment the next Saturday, my wife and I talked to them. And they said, you know, we were, we were just wondering where in the world are we going to go to church? And, and, uh, and, and, and there's so many churches around here. And the lady said, we didn't know where to go to church, so the Lord brought the church to us. They were looking. I mean, it was all set. Tonight, suppose that, um, suppose tonight that I inherited a million dollars. Brother Steins died and left me a million dollars. He's the only man I know that has a million dollars. And suppose that I decided that I wanted to invest that money in eternity. And by the way, I don't understand people who don't. I don't understand people who don't want to invest in eternity. I, I, don't, I don't remember Monday night. I told you Jesus loves you. 
I don't understand people who come to church and enjoy what God has given you here and never help pay the bills. uh, Say amen or oh me, one or the other. Whatever works. And suppose that I said, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to, I'm going to, Brother Sines, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I inherited this million dollars. And so here's what I want to do. I I want, it's Easter coming up, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a bunch of money, and I want you to give every person in your church who brings a visitor Sunday $100. How many of you think you could find a visitor? Not only that, nay, not only that, I'll give you $100 per visitor. Now, man, I'm thinking about paying the house off. <laughs> hey, I could find somebody. Bro, let me tell you, $100, I, I just got this kind of mind. I'd go to people and say, hey, if you'll come with me, I'll pay you $50 to come with me, and I'd give them 50 and I'd take 50 There is not one person in this room tonight that if he were going to give you $100 to bring a visitor, almost every single one of us would have someone here this coming Sunday. It's not that we can't. It's that we don't. When's the last time? When's the last time you just reached in your pocket and pulled out a track and said, hey... We'd love to have you come visit with us. So, you know what? We had years and years ago, we had a family. Uh, we had a bunch of people out visiting on a Tuesday night. And um, they knocked on the door. No one was home and uh, left a track on the door. Wayne Copeland came home that night from work, and he saw that track on his door. Brother Ronnie, he took it and put it in a drawer in the kitchen in his house. Never read it. Just looked at it, stuck it in a drawer. About two months later, his mother came to visit him. Wayne was probably in his early 20s, and his mother came, and she said, well, Wayne, where are you going to church? He thought about that track. He went in the kitchen, opened up that drawer. He said, this is where I go right here. (laughs) She said, well, good, we'll go Sunday. (laughs) Do you know they came Sunday? Do you know Wayne Copeland got saved? Do you know that now Wayne Copeland and his wife are in our church and his two boys are in our church and have been for many, many years all because somebody knocked on the door and stuck a gospel track in the door handle when somebody wasn't home. About that same time, somebody knocked on the door one Tuesday night at Robert May's house. They stuck that gospel track. He didn't answer. They stuck that track in the door. Robert came home from work. What What the people who knocked on that door did not know was that Robert and his wife were separated. She kicked him out of the house. His life was a mess. He was an addict. He was an alcoholic. He looked at that gospel track that night, and he opened it up, and he said, man, maybe, the, maybe I can get some help here. And he came to our church the next Sunday, and he got saved the first Sunday that he came to our church. Amen. You know, two years ago last week, Robert May was working in the shop where he was an auto mechanic, and a couple of his buddies came around and found him lying in the floor. He was only about 45. They took him to Duke Hospital where he stayed for several days. And Robert May went to heaven. Left a wife and a teenage girl. Can I tell you why? Because somebody said, I can invite somebody. It It frustrates God 
when those of us who have experienced grace and those of us who know salvation and those of us who are benefactors of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ never invite anybody. It angered the master, number one, because the citizens were not invited. Number two, I think it angered the master because the circumstances were not ignored. I want you to notice with me in verse number 18, the Bible said, and they all with one consent began to make excuse. One one said he bought a piece of land and he needed to go see it. That's a lie. Who in his right mind would buy a piece of land he ain't never seen? Another guy said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I need to go see if they can walk. I need to go prove them. That's an excuse. You mean to tell me you bought five yoke of oxen and don't even know if they got legs? <laughs> the third guy said, and, and both of them said, I prayed he had me excused. The third guy said, I married a wife. He didn't ask for anything. He didn't say I prayed. He said, I can't come. And he was telling the truth. That guy was being honest. You know what I find in this passage? Those are the same kind of things that we deal with on a regular basis. Can I tell you what I call it? Listen to me. Here's what I call it. It's called life. It's called life. Stuff happens. Things break. People change. It's life. We get sick. Our kids get sick. We go through tough times. It's called life. And can I tell you something tonight? You can, even, you, can even, you can either accept the circumstances that God has brought into your life and you can let them be a crutch and an excuse on why you can't do what you're supposed to do or you could let them be a motivating factor to cause you to want to do them in spite of what's going on. I had a family, I'll be very careful, but I had a family two weeks ago. I was coming back from Myrtle Beach. We had been at a couple's retreat down there, and, and uh, my cell phone rang. I recognized that caller ID. It's a man that I led to the Lord 25 years ago, probably. He married one of our girls that came through our youth ministry, and I answered the phone, and for the first 60 seconds he was on the phone. He couldn't even... He couldn't even talk he cried for a minute and I said brother just take your time just just take your time he finally composed himself and he said preacher he said my he called his name he said my my teenage son attacked my teenage daughter last night in the middle of the night I said what happened and he told me what happened and I think I think the word attack was probably a little strong for what actually happened But the boy was very improper with his sister. I got home. I I was making phone calls trying to figure out, and you pray for them. They left today. That boy's going to a boy's home to get some help, and and he's going to do well. He's a good kid. He's a good kid. But I was, I was, I'd been out of town. I left Myrtle Beach and drove to Canton, Georgia, and preached there that Sunday, and and then went to a TV studio down there and, and recorded a bunch of sermons for a friend of mine. And, and on Wednesday, my wife and I are driving back from Atlanta, Canton to Durham. And, uh, 
And this guy called me back and he said, preacher, he said, I need to know something. He said, I don't know what to do. He said, my daughter says she doesn't want my son to go to church tonight because she don't want to be in the same room with him. And I, was, I, was, I said, you probably don't want to know what I think. And he said, well, no, that's why I called. I want to know what you think. I said, I said I'm going to tell you what. You are letting this girl, and I, I'm not advocating what happened to her, okay? It was, it was wrong, and it was, it was a sin, and the boy's going to pay a, a, a severe price for it. Could have, could have gone to jail for it. But he's going to spend the next 12 months away from home, in a boy's home, because, because of his sin. I said, but you are well on your way to making that girl a victim of sexual abuse. In her mind, if you're going to let her call all the shots, what happened to her should never have happened. It was wrong and it was sinful. But at some point, we have to accept what God has allowed in our lives. We have to look it straight in the eye and say, I'm going to tell you one thing. This isn't going to defeat me. This is going to define me. This is going to make me who I ought to be. All things work together for good to them that love God, those who are the called according to His purpose. And tonight, too many of us say, well, Pastor, I would get involved down at the church, but you know, I don't have an education. I'm not good with people. I can't stand up in front of people. Hey, Moses, whenever God called him, Moses said, I can't talk, and he stuttered and stammered. And when God called Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, I don't have any experience. And God said, I made you in your mother's womb, and I formed you, and I knew what you were going to be, and I gave you everything you need. Everybody's got an excuse, but you've got to rise above that. You've got to ignore the circumstances. Lord, help us. I hope we, none of us get in line behind Paul at the judgment seat. When we try to explain to the Lord why we couldn't witness we try to explain to the Lord why, why we weren't more aggressive, why we weren't more, we, we weren't more quick to speak up. Well, you know, I just, I, I was afraid that I would be, I was afraid I'd be made fun of. And Paul's back there behind us, and he starts going through his resume. And we're going to be embarrassed. The bottom line is, we don't do what we ought to do at the church because we don't want to. Brother Joe, I'm not talking about people who are not able to do certain things. That's not what I'm talking about. He and I chatted last night. He said, Preacher, I needed that sermon. He said, Man, I, I struggle sometimes. I hope I'm not out of line here. But he said, I struggle sometimes because it's spring and people putting in their gardens and I'm not able to do that anymore. And it bothers me. I get depressed. And, and, and can I tell you tonight, God knows your situation. And He knows whether... What is holding you back is a reason or an excuse. And most of the time, with most of us, it's an excuse. And it angers God. The master was angry when the citizens weren't invited. He was angry when the circumstances weren't ignored. And thirdly, real quickly, he was angered when the common were not included. Notice what he says here in verse number 21. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, 
Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. Now here's what I get out of my Bible when I read that. Evidently, the servant had ignored those people. Does that make sense? Because if the master has to say, you get back out there, that's how I picture him saying it. You get back out there. You go find those blind people. They don't have an excuse. And you go find those crippled people. And you go find those poor people. And and, and you go, you see what had happened, I'm afraid, is the same thing that happens to us many times. We're selective in who we talk to and who we don't talk to. We profile. Right? Well, 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 we'd like to have, we'd like to have him in our church. Look at that car he drives. Be nice to have him in the church. I bet he's got money. Well, we'd like to have her. Boy, I heard her sing. I, we'd like to have her. Boy, she'd be good in our choir. You know what the master said? Just go find people. Go, just go find people. There's people out there. There's people everywhere. There's people out there who are hurting tonight and brokenhearted, and they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. They didn't hear the sermon the other night about what to do when you don't know what to do. And they're looking for answers, and they're hoping. They're praying in many cases and don't even know what they're praying for. And sometimes there are people that no one else wants. Can I tell you something? <laughs> Pastor and I were talking about this yesterday, I believe. But you, you, if you walked in our church this Sunday, I'm going to tell you what you'd find. <clears throat> you'd find people of all walks of life. Every stripe, every color, every language. Sitting up in the balcony right up here, they're probably going to be about Six, a dozen maybe, refugees. Now, I'm not here tonight to tell you whether I like having refugees come into our country or not, but I I will tell you this. If they're in our community, we ought to try to reach them. You know, we started a Spanish ministry 20 years ago, and and we had some people get upset. I had one man quit. He quit coming. He He was a successful guy. He was an air traffic controller. And he quit coming. Somebody went to see him and said, why'd you, why, why'd you leave? He said, I ain't going to church with a bunch of Mexicans. That's what he said. You know what? He, his wife, and his teenage son left. Sixteen years later, later, we had 600 Hispanics. That's a pretty good trade. You walk in, you walk in Sunday, there's going to be about 30, 40 ladies sitting mostly over here from the Durham Rescue Mission. They're so broke they can't pay attention. Some of them are homeless. Some of them just got out of prison. Some of them are abused. Some of them had husbands who were beating them. Some of them are addicts. And they're trying to put their life back together and they had nowhere else to go and they heard about this mission. It's not our mission, but they heard about this mission in Durham, North Carolina and they came and and about 40 or 50, and can I tell you this? There's hardly a Sunday that goes by that one of those ladies doesn't get saved. My wife teaches a Sunday school class, about 40 of them. That's her Sunday school class. She said, you know, my Sunday school class is hilarious. She said, 
they get into discussions about which prison has the best food. <laughs> but can I tell you this? Karen Ramsey came about six or eight years ago, and Karen Ramsey was a heroin addict. And she came and she got saved. She had given away rights to her son. She gave him away to the state. She came to the mission. She came to our church. She got saved. She put her life back together. She appealed the courts and asked the courts to give her her son back. The courts gave her her son back. She went through the program at the mission. She went through some education, got some training, and she became one of the secretaries for the county manager in Durham. Tonight, she lives in a house that she owns provided for her by the Habitat for Humanity. And in August, her 8th grade boy is going to enroll in our Christian school. Can I tell you this? There are people out there that you may pass by, but they need what you have. From the guttermost to the uttermost. He was angry. Because the common were ignored. He was angry because the, I'm sorry, the common were not included. And he was angry. And I want you to listen because some of you are going to judge me until you hear this, okay? But I think the master was angry because the crowd was not immense. The crowd was not immense. People didn't come. Everybody had an excuse and folks didn't want to come. And boy, they were quick to offer their excuses So the master ordered the servant to go to those who were without, the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. He said, go to people who, due to circumstances, won't have an excuse. Look at verse 22. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet, notice these words, there is room. There is room. Look at verse 23. And the Lord said unto his servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be what? Filled. Okay, let's take a closer look at this. Is God really that uptight over numbers? I don't think so. I don't think God ignores numbers. He was quick to tell us how many fish Peter had in his net. He was quick to tell us how many people got saved at Pentecost. Somebody was counting. You know what I found? People who hate people, people who hate churches that ever say anything about numbers, the reason they hate them is because they don't have any numbers. Now I'm saying that tonight, and our church right now, attendance-wise, runs about half what it did two years ago. Because that Spanish group that came and grew to 600 left and became their own church. So I'm not here tonight to tell you God's, I'm not into big churches, little churches, okay? And by the way, neither is God. But here's what I get out of this passage. What I get out of this passage is, he said, yet there is room. And the master said, okay, get out of here. Go find those people. I want my house to be filled. Here's what I get out of this, Brother Ronnie. The Lord is not concerned about our numbers, but he's very concerned about our potential. Did you get that? He's not worried about the crowd. He's worried about, he's worried about what we could be doing. 
Do you know, I'm going to be honest with you, first time I ever came here, how many years I've been coming, Brother Jerry, do you know? Four years. I had no idea. I had met him at a conference. And I, Granite, I didn't even know where Granite Falls was. And um, I, I, I turned on to Duke Street. And I, I'm going to be honest. I, I was expecting, I, was, I, was, I wasn't ready for what I saw in a, in a good way. I, 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 and I'm not, I'm not, please, 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 if you don't know me, trust me, I'm not, I'm not being critical, okay? But I was expecting a little bitty church, you know, I, I just, and I pulled in and I said, wow. Man, this is, this is really nice. And by the way, it is really nice. And I have no idea what you have in church on Sundays, but I'm just going to tell you, God didn't give you what you have so you could run what you have. How many seats or how many people can sit in here? Okay. 450. I'll tell you, our auditorium seats 1,000. Last Sunday, if I had to guess, in in the auditorium during the morning service, there may have been 400. Maybe. We pro- well, I know what we had. We had just over 600 in church. And can I tell you this? I don't think God's pleased. You know why? Because He wants His house to be full. That doesn't mean God doesn't appreciate the 600 that we had. It just means that God says, Hey, Rick, I want you to reach your potential. I think God would come to me tonight, Brother Steins, and, and these men have been asking me, well, what do you do about this? What do you do? How can we do this better? And then I told him, if I knew what to do, I'd be doing it. <laughs> and we're on an eight-lane expressway in, a, in the midst of a million people, Raleigh-Durham Chapel Hill. And I can tell you this, I'm thankful for every single one of those 600 that came last Sunday. And I don't take any of them for granted. But I can tell you this, we can do more than that. And so can you. You know what happens? We get stinking satisfied. Well, Brother Finley, I'm saved. And my wife's saved. And my kids are saved. And the Lord's been good. And He has been good. But what about your neighbors? What about the people you work with? What about you young people? What about the kids who go to school with you? The servant comes back, he said, Master, we've done everything you commanded, and yet there is room. And the master says, I want you to get back out of here, and I want you to go find these people, because I want my house to be full. I think the thing that most bothered the master was that there was room for so many more. There was food, it was prepared, the table was set, the space was available, it would help anybody who came, and there was room for a whole lot more. And tonight, I want to challenge you as members of Solid 
Rock Baptist Church to step back and say, God, we are grateful for what we have. We appreciate the fact you led us to this church. We thank you for our pastor and for our staff. What a beautiful place this is. But God, we are not there yet. There's still people in this community who need to know that Jesus died on a cross for them 2,000 years ago, that he was buried, and three days later, praise God, he rose again. And there's somebody who needs to know that if he could rise from the dead, he could resurrect their marriage. He could bring their wayward son back home. He could put broken lives back together. He could break the chains of addiction and set them free again. Somebody tonight needs what you have. But somebody's got to invite them. I'll close with this story. Several years ago, we were, we were out knocking on doors and we, we would... Everybody would come down to church, and we'd load up a bus, and we'd go to an area. I'd pick it out. That particular night, we went to 15501 in Garrett Road, and there was an apartment complex there called Garrett Square. I'm guessing that's, that particular night, I'm guessing we probably had 30, 35, 40 people that went. We put two men together and two ladies together, and we just started. I think the buildings were lettered, like it was building A, building B, building C, and then they had numbers. We started with A, and about 40 minutes later, we went back around with the bus and picked everybody up and found out what buildings they had covered, and I'm writing it all down on a three-by-five card. Two mornings later, I pick up the newspaper, and I read a story about a workplace shooting at Research Triangle Park. A a disgruntled worker went in on Wednesday and he shot two of his co-workers and turned the gun on himself. Out of curiosity, the next day I checked the obituary and it, the obituary said that this man lived in the Garrett Square Apartments. And he gave his apartment number. And I went back to my three-by-five card and I realized we were about two buildings short of knocking on his door. And I started thinking about that thing. Something was going on in that man's life. Suppose somebody who had the power of God on their life had knocked on his apartment door on Tuesday night. Wednesday morning, he went to work and killed two people and himself. And here's what hit me. If we had 30 people on the bus that night, if we'd had 40, Brother Jerry, we would have got his door. We would have got his door. May not have made a bit of difference in the world, but it might have. We had people saved that night, and I was excited about it. I don't know, four or five people got saved, and they... Got back on the bus. Anybody have anybody saved? Yes, sir. We had two saved. We had one. But when I realized what could have happened that night, it really bothered me. And I think when God looks down at us tonight and sees what we have and everything's ready, can I tell you this? You'd enjoy church a lot more this Sunday if there's 400 people in here instead of 200. Well, there's only one way they're going to come. 
and that's if somebody goes and tells them. I want you to bow your heads for a minute.